So did you notice what happened, Michael? What happened? Uh, I've stumbled upon, I'm going to say, uh, a minor government conspiracy. I feel like oh, typically boy. people say we're like, I've stumbled upon a major government <laughs> I've conspiracy. I've cracked the whole case. <laughs> this is like a minor one. All so right. we released the lead episode on mm-hmm. the 31st of March, right? Right. What else was released on the 31st of March? The Biden administration's The American Jobs Plan. Okay. In The American Jobs Plan, there is, you know, it, which lays out what the entire thing is. Right. There's the concession in there where removing all lead pipes in the United States. So what you're now, saying is Joe Biden is a listener of this show. No, I'm not saying that because they wouldn't have had enough time to put it together. Obviously, that would be ridiculous. It both came out on the 31st. So what, what you're saying, saying is you're you're a you're a Washington insider. You're part of no, the deep state. No, what I'm saying, which is much more believable, is that Joe Biden has hacked Colin's server. Oh my god. And is getting ideas from our episodes Absolutely. off Colin's server. Oh my god, this is the Hillary email scandal all over again. See, the thing is, people just didn't realize how important we were. We're very important. I'm very important, at least. We're, I'll say we're that. like the deeper version of the deep state. <laughs> we're, we're the bottom state. Or or Colin. Colin is actually a CIA <laughs> operative, and he's been feeding all this information to the Biden administration. They figured it out! <laughs> the great conspiracy that... The government is taking our ideas and putting them into action to make our water cleaner. Um, yep, exactly. I don't think that's Look, sexy enough if, for if, QAnon. If there's any, if there's any conspiracies out there, if it improves lives, I'm all for it, you know? Yeah, that's fair. So. <laughs> all right, let's get started. Hey everybody and welcome back to I Really Wish You Hadn't. I am your host, Cayman McMahon, here with my co-host, Michael Bentley. What <laughs> And of course, as always, our super producer, Colin Moore. Hey, what's going on? I was really I was really hoping you would give me another I'm not about it and I was like, no. We no. record these episodes early in the morning. There's not enough energy for that. I've been awake I've been for... Up, I've been up for like three hours. So I've been I'm up good. for like five <laughs> minutes. <laughs> the guys had to call me and wake me up. I did. Yeah. Well, I'm also I'm also operating on West Coast hours still. So mm-hmm. like, yep. I wake up early now. I, I used to not be a morning person, but now I am. You do that for three weeks and then, you know, you I just kind of hit a new cycle. that makes you a morning person. I think that you're just waking up before the sun is. Yeah, well, I mean, like, on West Coast time, I'm waking up at noon. Uh... Wait a minute. It would be the other way around. Like waking up at at yeah, you're eight right. here you're would be right. like yeah, like yep, five yep, yep. there. Cut that. Cut all of that. <laughs> no, yeah, no, I did the math wrong. Oh no, I that's math wrong. confused there, on math. But uh, yeah, it's the other way around, bud. <laughs> it is. It is the other way around. Michael has no idea when he's waking it. up. I don't know. I <laughs> I wake up sometimes. So uh, today we are covering a topic. Uh, mm-hmm. I will say Michael expressly asked me not to look up anything about this topic, and I know nothing other than the man's name, which is Lou Pearlman. So, Michael, yes. you're going to have to let us know more about that. Yeah, and I will. Um, Pearlman was an airline and entertainment mogul who appeared to have everything. Uh, he drove a Rolls Royce. He lived in a giant mansion that some people described as a hotel. Um, they said he literally lived in a hotel-sized mansion. Um, and he ran a privately held company, which he claimed was valued in the billions. 
But as we all know, looks can be deceiving, and many of his claims were entirely fiction. But that didn't stop hundreds of people from dumping their entire life savings into his pockets in the hopes of getting rich. And even if you don't think you know who Lou Pearlman is, I promise you, you almost definitely have exposure to one of his business ventures. Oh, wait, he was that guy from Hellboy. No, he was not Ron Perlman. That is a <laughs> yeah, he was that, that guy this is the second Hellboy. time we've talked about Ron Perlman. It is not he also Ron wrote Perlman. That book. Yeah. Yeah, no. He's it's great. Not uh, Ron Perlman is great. This is not Ron Perlman. This is Lou Perlman. Very different War. guy. War never War changes. War never changes. Yes. But you know what does change <laughs> is your perception of Lou Perlman from Ron Perlman to the actual guy, which is Lou Perlman. Does he look like Ron Perlman? No, he's We'll, we'll talk about his appearance and i don't want to harp on he looks like ron perlman right now he does okay so let me let me back off from that he's a he's a big boy he's a hmm how do i put this nicely <laughs> how big a boy is he he's a big boy um he has glasses he he's a nerd he's a he's he looks like the, you know, like when you see like the stereotypical nerd mm-hmm. group in like a movie and they have the fat guy yeah that's Lou Pearlman. I mean, like, I, I, I don't know how to say that nicely. Trying to put it in a sensitive way, do you think he could run a 5K? I won't know. He couldn't okay. run a five meter. Like, okay. No. So not Ron Perlman. No, not Ron Perlman at all. If he was but cast dude, in Hellboy, it would have been a comedy. Here's my thing, though. When I see wealthy people, mm-hmm. why are they skinny? Well... Because they have the resource, because they don't have to work. They can just go to the gym all the oh, time. Oh, I guess also, yeah, and they can eat, like, healthier yeah, they, foods. they can buy they healthy, can, like, yeah, they can, they can have somebody else make them a healthy meal. Um, I feel like if I was wealthy, I would immediately, like, get very large, because I'd be like, ooh, ribs again for lunch? Well, yes, please. that's kind of Lou Perlman, but he was, all, he was always big, even when he was not so wealthy. But we'll get uh, into all that. Let's just hop into the story of Lou Perlman. So Lou Pearlman's story starts as many great stories do, with a little boy selling lemonade on the side of the road. This is a classic American image of a young entrepreneur. Little Louie had started his first business at the age of nine, but even at this young age, Lou was willing to bend ethics for the sake of profit. You see, Lou had decided to price his lemonade at seven cents per cup. I know, a nine-year-old like bending ethics, but listen. So he, he's, he priced his lemonade at seven cents a cup. The idea being that if a customer handed him a dime, he would claim to not have change to make for the dime, and he knew that most people would just be like, I just keep the dime, kid. That's brilliant. So, effectively making 10 cents a cup. Brilliant. And again, that's how Lou saw it, too. To the point that he was bragging about this in his autobiography. The man is a shameless con artist. He will openly tell you exactly what he's doing to bend ethics for the sake of profit. Luckily, he did not live in the age of, like, RFID chips. Because, the the kids now probably have like the phones oh. with the little scanners. Oh, yeah, 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 credit cards. Yeah, where no he could just have a, he could just have a square and just. Do you know like... how long it's been since I've used change? I'm not sure if a kid can have a square account. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that's. I, do kids even make lemonade stands any, anymore? Where, why? Why couldn't a kid have a square account? Is it illegal for kids well, to use yeah, money? Yeah, I think it's probably, part of the terms yeah. of agreement. Yeah, you probably have to be a certain age. <laughs> but regardless, the last time I think I used change was like I had to pay someone for change so I could use like a dartboard. Yeah. Like one of those, yeah. like in a bar or something. Like I haven't used change in forever. It's like uh Chuck E. Cheese tokens at this point. Like you just have to give them real money to get these like things that you have to use for certain <laughs> stuff. You could almost say that our way of using currency is changing. <laughs> okay, now I feel bad. 
Hey, you guys remember when uh, there was a chain shortage and nobody cared? Yeah, it wasn't that fun <laughs> when everyone was freaking out and then nothing happened. Yeah. There was a chain shortage? Exactly. Something about... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm sure we'll have to cover it at some point. Actually, we probably won't. It was a non-event. Okay, anyway. It didn't stop my mom from freaking out about it. Doesn't matter. Moving on. So, again, he's telling all these people, like, oh, yeah, even as a kid, like, I was, I was bending the rules to, like, make money. And, like, every time he would tell people this, like, they were like, oh, yeah, good for you, Lou. But no one ever, like, put together, like, oh, you're probably doing this to me also. Um, <laughs> but, again, that, that comes much later. Yeah, this guy who handles my money is only scamming other people. Exactly. He's, he's doing it for fine. me. Like, oh, is it, he's a great scam artist. He's going to make me a ton of money. It's like relationships that start with someone cheating. It's like, yeah, they cheated on their husband for me. It's exactly. You're like, oh, they picked me over. Yeah, exactly. I must be super <laughs> special. Um, but anyway, so Perlman grew up in a neighborhood in Queens, New York, known as Flushing. Uh, his parents were Jewish. Uh, his father was a World War II veteran who ran a dry cleaning business. And his mother was a stay-at-home mom who gave Perlman everything he ever wanted, which was mostly food. Again, Perlman was a big boy. Hey, man. We all gotta have our hobbies. Exactly. His was, you know... I love food. I love food, too. It's great. I hate exercise. His mom was a great cook, and that will come up later in the story. Speaking of hating exercise, uh, he got picked on a lot, and he wasn't good at outdoor activities. Uh, there's a story in uh, one of the books about Lou Pearlman uh, about kids going out and sledding on this, you know, great winter day, you know, tons of snow on the ground. Everybody goes out sledding, and Pearlman's like, okay, this is the, this is the day. This is the day that I'm going to go out, and I'm going to make some friends. I'm going to go out sledding with the friends. So all these kids are sledding, and, you know, what, whatever. He is so heavy that he gains way too much speed going down the hill and slams face first into a metal pole Ooh. and has to go home, um, which did not help his popularity. That was not what he needed um, in that moment. I don't want to laugh at the kid that gets picked on, but also, like, you're pretty much... It sounded like you're about to start describing that scene from Na like National Lampoon. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yep, that's exactly what it was. So... Again, let's just say that Perlman was probably picked last every time during gym class. and He should have played football. This is why America is the best country, because you can be a large boy uh -huh. and like still be a linebacker and yeah. be good at it. Yeah. He should have just played football. He, he could have, probably. But instead of doing that, um, he got more into uh, airships. So he finally found a friend uh, in a kid named Alan Gross. And Alan Gross was obsessed with airplanes and blimps. Like, that was his thing. And so Lou pretty much co-opted this obsession, um, probably because he found a way to bond with another person. Right. So the Goodyear blimp had just recently started flying in 1964 for the World's Fair, and it just happened to launch from Flushing Airport, just across the expressway from the apartment that Lou and Alan lived in. Perlman would always tell the story about how Alan would come up to Perlman's apartment, and together they would watch shows like Sky King and Whirly Birds, which were these two shows about pilots or something. I don't know. They were obsessed with anything in the air. Um, and then they would watch the blimps take off from his living room window, which had a perfect view of Flushing Airport. That's pretty neat. That's actually yeah. really cool. Right? Wait, this was Perlman's window? Yes. Well... I think I know why this kid became friends with Perlman. He was like, I want to go watch outside your window and breathe heavily. Came and hold off, hold off on all that. Because... <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, eventually Lou convinced his friend to go up with him, uh, or, I'm sorry, 
Eventually, Lou convinced Alan to go with him over to the hangar. Uh, this was back in the day when two children could just stroll over an expressway and onto an active airstrip. Lou got the attention of the Goodyear crew and asked if he and his friend could go up in the blimp. But the crew told him that the only civilians that were allowed to go up were members of the press. So Lou went home and wrote a story for his school newspaper and showed up with the clipping to show the Goodyear crew to say he was a member of the press now. The Goodyear PR manager gave Lou a press pass and took Lou and his friend Alan up in the blimp. Oh, that's kind of sweet. Right? That's nice. Yeah, that's nice. Goodyear, exactly. good company. Yeah. This experience was so instrumental that Lou knew he had to get into the airline business. And, you know, to your point, Cayman, this is basically a storybook origin story for Lou Pearlman and his desire to get into the world of the airline, right? I mean, next thing you know, he's going to be in the Marvel Universe. <laughs> it's a great origin story. It's a great origin story. The problem with it is, is it's not true. Oh. None of it happened the way... It's it's half true. Just like every good liar, it's half true, right? No. None of it happened the way that Lou tells it. In fact, it's almost a complete reversal of Alan and Lou's roles. You see, Alan was the one with the window that faced Flushing Airport. Lou's apartment was facing the entirely wrong direction. Uh, Alan had requested the ride and wrote the story for the school newspaper and got the press pass from Goodyear. He still has the school newspaper clipping and the press pass to prove it. So needless to say, Lou was always known to manipulate the truth in order to make himself look more important. Hey, writing off other people's accomplishments is how you become great in this country. Lou Pearlman is a testament to that. <laughs> so when the time came for Lou to become a man, he had a great story cooked up. He went around school telling everyone that they absolutely had to come to his bar mitzvah because his cousin, Art Garfunkel, was going to be there. Yes, <laughs> that Art Garfunkel of Simon and Garfunkel. You're already laughing because I'm sure, yeah. Simon and Garfunkel, it was one of the biggest bands of the time. This was the equivalency of, in 1998, going to everyone and saying, oh yeah, my cousin Justin Timberlake's going to come to my uh, come to my bar mitzvah. You got to be there. Is Art Garfunkel Jewish? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. What year was this? This was 60, this was in the 60s, probably 60, late 60s. Mid-60s. I feel like you should have gone with a slightly less popular Jewish person to make it sound more believable. But hey, if it works. So obviously, no one believed him. People still showed up to the bar mitzvah, uh, probably to verify that Lou was lying so that they could tease him about it. But to everyone's surprise, in walks Art Garfunkel. What? Yeah. And they were like, what? We were all here to like... Oh, I assumed he was lying. And so did everyone else. <laughs> In walks Art Garfunkel. <laughs> and they're like, what? what? And, and he's like, oh, hey, cuz. And Art Garfunkel's like, what's up? And so, like, the whole night they spend, like, they're attached at the hip, mostly because Lou does not leave Art Garfunkel's side because he wants everyone to see him with Art Garfunkel. Yeah. And yeah, it was actually his cousin. <laughs> and that's the thing, is that's, that's the hallmark of a great liar, right? If you can get some outlandishly unbelievable thing to be true <laughs> that means every subsequent lie you tell oh you've got everyone for a second goes god is this the one is this the time that he's telling the truth you've got five years of everyone has to believe everything that you say exactly yep. you are <laughs> and even if they don't it's like maybe he can make it happen with art Garfunkel, <laughs> you know like <laughs> so by the time college rolled around, Lou had decided he was going to attend Queens College, which was less than 10 miles from his home in Flushing. Lou continued to live at home throughout college, only leaving on occasion for vacations in Florida. 
And during this time, Lou actually gets a pretty steady group of friends. Uh, you know, he he's the main organizer. This is when he really, like, is, like, you know, leading the pack. You know, he he's organizing, you know, multiple carloads. He has these vacations uh, planned down to where they're going to stop to eat. And and they do this pretty frequently, right? So he's, like, orchestrating spring breaks? Uh, it's, 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 you know, any break that they get. Because, you know, it's, it's New York, right? So even on, like, winter breaks, like... Thanksgiving and Christmas. So the man's an event planner. He's an event planner. He's a he's a go-getter. And that's the thing is, you know, uh, all these people are like, yeah, we're going to go down to Florida, hit the beach, talk to some girls, drink. And meanwhile, uh, Lou Pearlman is organizing meetings with business owners in Florida so that he can talk to them about how they made their business successful. Yeah, that's a go-getter. Right? Also, uh, you know, like I said, they're, they're talking to girls, they're drinking, having a good time. Lou would still hang out, but he would order uh, non-alcoholic versions of the drinks they were getting, but he would still act drunk like he was that guy. Mm. Oh, and he would always talk about, you know, oh yeah, my, my cousin's Art Garfunkel. Like, we hang out all the time. Well, yeah, uh, you gotta ride that one. His cousin <laughs> exactly. is Art Garfunkel. That's, mm-hmm. I would brag about that. Exactly. So when he would return to Queens College, his main focus was studying tax loopholes. Um, so he would kind of marry this knowledge with, you know, the knowledge that he gained from talking to business leaders. And, you know, he was like, okay, how am I going to be successful? Is Queens College a private college? I don't know. Hmm. I would imagine well, it would be. Why is it important? Tax loopholes is a degree. That, that sounds well, I don't, like a private he college got an, He got a degree in accounting. <laughs> right. Yeah. Queens College. Let's find out. It's a public college. Oh. Yeah. Did you say what his parents did? Uh, his dad owned a dry cleaner and his mom didn't work. Hmm. But his dad was, his dad was very diligent. Like he, he got a lot of his work ethic from his dad. He would travel with his dad to deliver dry cleaning and his, he had note cards for each one of his customers. Like how they like their clothes delivered. Do they like the doorbell rang? Do they like it just left? Like, yeah. Very, very diligent. And he, he great he customer picked up, service. Exactly. And that was his main thing. Like there's a whole I mean, story about he was a newspaper delivery guy. I've got it saved for after notes. We'll talk about it, but picked up a lot of that a lot of that customer service. I mean, dry cleaning business is like nothing to scoff at. You ever been to a dry cleaner? It's hella expensive. Yeah. Well, and that's not to say that he was like a very wealthy man like he owned a single drag it's not like he had an enterprise like he was a you know they were middle class yeah but anyway so for Lou's senior project uh he had to come up with a business idea and put together a plan to bring that idea to market for Lou this was something that he did in his spare time so it wasn't like this was a you know a big deal he just pulled something out of the hat uh and he quickly put together the idea of a taxi service that would shuttle people by helicopter to and from lower Manhattan his project went beyond just a business plan and even accounted for the city permits that would be needed to operate the service. Because, again, there's a lot of permits that you need to get to fly a helicopter in southern Manhattan. Right. So this is just like for wealthy people, though, right? Right. But, I mean, if you're looking for wealthy people, lower Manhattan's the place to go. Oh, I didn't know nothing about Manhattan. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, that's where, like, investment places are, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Wall Street's Also, also, yeah, end, it's so. all super crowded. So, like... Flying by helicopter is a lot faster than trying to get there by car. Right. So Lou's teacher was so impressed by his business plan that he called Lou into his office and said, look, you need to do this. Like, you've got everything planned out. There's no reason not to take this and, like, really run with it. Thus began Lou Perlman's career as an airline mogul. 
After graduating college, Perlman set out to do exactly what his teacher said and make the project plan into a reality. But it's not like the teacher was like this great inspiration for him. Like, this was Lou's childhood dream and the goal that he'd been working towards with all those virgin pina coladas. Perlman had a full <laughs> business plan written out, so now the only thing he needed was the thing that every business needs. Money. And more virgin pina coladas. Those <laughs> things are tasty. They're delicious. They are I, very I'd delicious. have a virgin pina colada right now. I love it. I love coconut. I hate Colin's coconut. shaking his head no. He's wrong. Can't stand it. You know what's uh, really good? If you order a virgin pina colada and then put rum in it, Oh, God, that's real good. That sounds like a good idea. I should yeah. really try that sometime. I, if I should try, like, that. six of those in a yeah. row. <laughs> I can't imagine if I went to a bar and ordered a virgin <laughs> can, I have, can I get a virgin pina colada, but can you put Two some shots rum? of rum. <laughs> Two shots of rum. <laughs> oh, Probably be would... twice the price of, like, a normal pina colada. Yeah, they would hate you, too. Oh, yeah. Well, I doubt it. They'd be like, yeah, I'll take the extra money. Why <laughs> sure. not? Because uh, it's not like it's any extra work. Maybe washing <laughs> this, those two shot glasses. This idiot doesn't know what a pina colada is. So anyway, Perlman needs money. So he turned to the wealthiest person he knew, Art Garfunkel. Mm-hmm. Art heard the proposal and said, Hey man, that whirly bird thing sounds groovy and all, but if you want money, you're going to have to talk to the money man. I don't think Art Garfunkel is Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. <laughs> I don't think so either, but I don't know how he sounds, so I, I, I went with that. I mean, he is tall and lanky. He kind of fits the bill. I could see it. So anyway, the, the money man that Art was referring to was his father, Jack Garfunkel. So Lou went to see his Uncle Jack, and luckily for him, Jack agreed to buy Lou a helicopter. Unfortunately, Jack agreed to buy Lou's second helicopter. The first was on him to secure. And honestly, I think this is a good uncle, right? He's saying, I'm yeah. not going to buy you a business. You got to be committed. Yeah, exactly. I'll invest in it. Absolutely. I'll help you get your second helicopter. But now Perlman's only hope was to get a loan from a bank, right? He's got to do this on his own. So he started visiting various banks with no luck until one day he was being walked out of a commercial building by an investment banker. And he just decides to go for broke and just loudly talk to this guy about his idea uh, he's like, okay, I guess if you don't want to invest in my very lucrative helicopter taxi service, sure would save you investment bankers a lot of time trying to travel to and from lower Manhattan, but I guess this is your loss. So an executive of a financial firm heard him saying this and was like, huh, that does sound like a good idea. It does sound like you, a good idea. Why don't you come to my office? So uh, he cuts him a check. Well, I mean, the... the, the Obviously, investment bankers have never heard the phrase, time is money. Exactly. You can save someone time. That's a fantastic idea. That's what it's all about. Exactly. Time is money. Yeah. How much is a helicopter? I imagine, like, dummy expensive, right? I mean, uh, I don't think they're crazy. Colin, I feel like you should know this. You're a pilot. I don't know. No, I don't know. Also, 1960s. How, mu- how much was your drone? Uh, It was, like, a little over $1,000. So if we inflated your drone up big enough for a person. And transported it back to the 1960s. That's the big thing. Well, I feel like it'd, it'd be even cheaper in the 1960s. Like cars and stuff. Okay, they didn't I'd say the technology was probably more expensive at the time. No, 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 no. Because you got to think in the 60s, they didn't have to worry with all that stuff like, you know, that safety and right. you know electronics. They just put an engine in there with a couple blades and we're like, you okay. might crash. <laughs> So the average price is a little less than $2 million. Obviously, they go up to some insane number, like $27 million, but 
Um, and, but they say, you know, like, you know, you can get a pre-owned helicopter for as little as $100,000, which is not so well, bad. Well, there you go. That's actually not that bad. Well, again, now that, keep that thought in mind. Because you're like, oh, yeah, it's not that expensive to buy a helicopter. Like, we can get a helicopter. I mean, and that's exactly what, money, yeah. well, exactly, it's, it's a lot of money, yeah. but. That's not well, bad, and, it's not awful. Right. But. Anyway. What you're not taking into account was the same thing that Lou Perlman didn't take into account. So after he starts Commuter Helicopter Service Incorporated, which is a mouthful, it starts losing money hand over fist. Because what Lou had not taken into account was how expensive it is to service a helicopter. Servicing, pilots, yeah, I started thinking about that as you were saying it. It is super expensive. Yeah. So... He quickly merged the commuter helicopter business with a helicopter touring company and washed his hands clean of it. He took what money he had left and started Transcom Airways. Now, that's Transcom with an M. That is an important distinction, which will become obvious later. Basically, Transcom was like the helicopter idea, but instead of helicopters, they uh, operated prop planes, and they would shuttle people around the three major New York City airports. Oh, that makes sense. I was thinking, how are you going to... Fly from Lower Manhattan <laughs> prop parachutes. Nice. Hey, if it works. Yeah. So this was a decent business, but it was never going to propel Lou to the ultra success that he really wanted. You get it? Propel. Nice. Because it's a they have propellers. No, prop. if you didn't know, if you didn't laugh at my joke about the change, I'm not prop, laughing at that it's one. A prop plane business. No. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Yeah. So, like I said, this was never going to get him where he wanted to be. So, as such. Lou had to step back to his dream journal, take a little look back. This is a figurative dream journal. It's not a real dream journal. It's not it's a just, real dream journal. No, he didn't. He, he doesn't. Didn't, he didn't, he you're didn't sure actually have he a dream didn't journal. have a dream journal. I'm not, I'm not 100%, but I, this is something that I've made up, so if it's a real thing, then I'm just like clairvoyant or something. That kid from Shark Boy and Lava Girl had a dream journal. You know? You remember that movie? Nope. Anyway, he theoretically <laughs> looks back at a dream journal, and inside he finds his childhood love of blimps. Lou knew that if you wanted to get into the blimp business, you had to talk to Theodore Vollenkemper. Now, Vollenkemper was, as I'm sure you've put together, a German airship manufacturer whose blimps were sold internationally. Vollenkemper also happened to be in New York City for his 50th birthday. So Perlman got out of his arts and crafts and sent Vollenkemper a two-foot-tall birthday card made out of construction paper and glitter. And he didn't know this guy. No, he'd never met him. But he That's... sent him a, uh, a construction paper Boo. birthday card. Uh, so along with that birthday card, he offered Vollenkemper complimentary shuttle service with his company in exchange for having a meeting with him. Vollenkemper agreed, and when Lou showed up to pick him up, he looked at this 24-year-old and said, I think I have an appointment with your father. Because oh. again, this guy's 24 years old, and this is... Like the early seventies, like the idea of like the the young billionaire is not a trope at this point. Like, right, most people who have made it are much older. He was younger than me. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he's already started like two businesses. But anyway, where did Lou take this prestigious airship manufacturer for dinner? Where else but to his parents' apartment in Flushing, Queens, for a traditional Jewish meal? Yeah, this I, I would rather have that than like. I don't don't know. That sounds sounds nice. Yeah. A lot less pressure than being like a restaurant. It sounds like less pressure. Um, But one thing that I forgot to mention uh, was that Vollenkemper was a former Nazi Luftwaffe pilot. Oh. Well, was he a Nazi or was he a Luftwaffe pilot? 
he might have been a Luftwaffe pilot for the Nazis, but he may not have like you know shared the whole. Well, was he anti-Semitic? Well, uh, hold off on that. Well, okay. that we do cover that. So anyway, okay. so when Volenkemper arrived, there was an obvious tension between uh, this former Luftwaffe pilot and Lou's Jewish father, who, as I mentioned, served in World War II as a tail gunner. Tensions eased when Volenkemper explained that he only flew for the Nazis to avoid being shot for treason and that he didn't even like Hitler. Right, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. But it's still, yeah. it's still, it's still like in the air, you know? It's like, oh, yeah, you know, I, ah, it was back it in the was day. a little awkward. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so anyway, but it, it, it at least ended the conversation, you know? They were like, okay, yeah, whatever. And problem squashed right there. yeah and honestly i mean i don't want to i don't want to sour his name like he he was like yeah you know i i traveled to israel and i talked to holocaust survivors like i i've atoned for you know i didn't i didn't want to do the things i did whatever to be fair most germans I didn't yeah exactly know. exactly but still or at least they didn't want to it's know. still a little awkward but it's yeah anyway let's move past it through this dinner, uh, Lou won Volenkemper over and discussed a partnership for a new company called Transcontinental Airlines. I know I keep talking about all these new companies, but this is the one to remember. Transcontinental is the one that makes and breaks Lou Perlman. Also keep in mind, Transcontinental is just being talked about. This is all entirely in Lou's head, um, but, you know, he's at least started the conversation. Yeah. Transcontinental Airlines was going to be exactly what it sounded like. It would lease airplanes to provide cheap commercial travel, you know, just like any other airline would, like a Delta, an American, whatever. Right. Um, except instead of owning the airplanes, it would lease them. Another interesting thing that they were planning on doing was they would fly high-value checks across the country for clearing houses to deposit. This was before banks were able to do a wire transfer, so checks had to physically travel through the United States Postal Service. Because of the interest that they could gain on a million dollar or more check, it was more cost effective to fly that check across the country for deposit than it was to wait for it to travel through the mail. That makes sense. Yeah. Now again, I want to address that Transcontinental would lease the planes. Transcontinental would never own a single airplane. Now Lou always explained that this was a tax shelter scheme where his investors would buy airplanes and lease to Transcontinental in order to avoid paying taxes. And he was open about this. Again, the guy was very open about what he was doing. So everyone felt like, okay, there's nothing shady about this guy because he's very open even when he's doing shady things. Right. And this might be true. That might actually have been what he's doing. It might be a lie. I honestly have no idea. Lou lied so much to so many people and changed the story so much. It's hard to say for sure. It's plausible. I mean, it's not illegal to use a tax loophole. Exactly. But that's so. the thing, is it sounds just plausible enough that it sounds like Lou knows what he's doing. But it could also be that he's just, you know, saying this to just keep more balls in the air so that everyone thinks that he's got it all figured out so that they'll continue to feel comfortable with him handling their money. Lou called Transcontinental a money printer because it basically was. Lou could just sit back and rake in this profit with little to no oversight on his part. But that was not enough for Lou. Nothing ever was. So he had to continue wheeling and dealing. So... Wait, they would buy these planes? No, they would lease these planes. No, they lease the planes, but the other people bought them and leased I, them for the I wouldn't try to figure that out too much, because that might all be a lie. But the, the, the okay. idea was that other people would buy planes and lease them to Lou, and somehow they were avoiding paying taxes by doing that. But wouldn't you want to use your plane? Maybe they already had a plane. Maybe they bought a third plane. 
and they leased it to Lou. I don't know, Cayman. And, and and again, it might. I have all this money sitting here, but I cannot pay taxes. Well, and that's the I thing need is to buy a plane. Is it might not even be logical. Like it might have all been a lie. It's so hard to put together what was true and what wasn't. Hmm. But anyway, you know, again, this business is lucrative. He's raking in money, or at least maybe he is, maybe he's not. I don't know. It's all privately held, so they never had to disclose finances. But on the surface, he was making money on it, but he still had to do more. So he starts going all in on creating a blimp business called Airship International, and he wanted to partner with Volenkemper. However, Volenkemper's blimps were the Rolls Royce of the blimp world. Way too expensive for Lou, even at this point. Who's using blimps? Goodyear. They're, they're an amazing uh, advertising opportunity. So that's all they're used for? Is I mean, just pretty much. Goodyear? Yeah. I've never seen anyone else on a blimp. Goodyear in America, but in Europe, blimps were also very lucrative. Or, like, they were being bought pretty frequently. I mean, he had a whole business. Like, he was selling blimps. People buy blimps. People like blimps. <laughs> no, one buy, no one likes blimps. Come on, do people like blimps? People love blimps. When's the last time you saw a blimp? A Goodyear blimp. Have you ever yeah. seen a blimp? A Goodyear yeah, blimp. They, they come to the race. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. And you know what? When you they see it, you're races. like, oh, look, it's a Goodyear blimp. Makes everybody smile. Mm-hmm. People love blimps. Everybody knows the Goodyear blimp. Kind of like when Oscar Mayer drives by with the Wienermobile. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. you get excited. Because yeah. you see it, yeah. you're like, man, look at that. Except for this one can yeah. fly. <laughs> Oscar Mayer needs a, needs a Wiener blimp. They need a Wiener blimp. That, that has got to be doable, <laughs> right? I mean... I don't know. Maybe. It's the right shape. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So anyway, you know, uh, Lou, Lou can't afford one of Volenkemper's blimps. Um, so instead, Lou met with a logging company about balloons that they used to lift massive trees out of areas where they couldn't get a bulldozer. These were not meant for commercial use. These were not blimps. These were like glorified weather balloons and look nothing like a blimp. But that didn't stop Lou from buying one and getting a metal shop to reshape it to look like a blimp. They added fins and a gondola to make it look more like the real thing. But again, it was way smaller. It was not a blimp. You could look at, even if you didn't know anything about blimps, like if you had just seen another blimp and you looked at that thing, you'd be like, that's not a blimp. (laughs) I just learned what that was and that's not one. Yeah, exactly. Meanwhile, Lou had a salesman trying to go out to find a potential advertiser for this blimp, because a blimp is pretty much useless until you can slap a logo on the side. Eventually, they found the blue jeans company Jordash. Now, these days, Jordash is a brand that you would find at Walmart. Jordash, yeah. Jordash. I, did, I, didn't, I didn't know about Jordash. Colin, do you know yeah, Jordash? Yeah, Jordash. Yeah, Jordash. No, not, food. Not, not Doordash. Jordash. Yeah. yeah, Jordash brings you food. No, yeah, Jordash, gotcha. blue green. And they blue, make pants. Blue green. Blue greens. Blue greens. Jordash, blue greens. DoorDash blue greens. I would be interested in a pair of green jeans. I've worn a lot of blue jeans, but never green jeans. (laughs) (laughs) The awkward silence after your jokes is more funny than than us laughing sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, so like I said, DoorDash can now be found at Walmart, um, but at the time they were seen as a luxury brand due to their marketing. For instance, one commercial had a topless woman riding a horse in their signature jeans. Awesome. That's great. Right? That's awesome. The commercial was obviously rejected by all major networks, but the publicity of that rejection was also publicity. Was it because of the boobs? Yes. Yep, you got it. And this is before the internet, so they couldn't even just like post I, Well, it here's up the thing is I don't even think they showed that. I don't even think that like they showed like anything explicit. It's just the fact that it was oh, a topless was just... woman riding a horse. 
there was just the idea that people might think about exactly. her having They were boobs. like, oh, she's topless. Yeah, that's inappropriate. That, Can't have think people of the, thinking about anatomy. Think of the children. <laughs> uh, so anyway, a blimp in New York City was going to be the cherry on top of a press event that the company was throwing in Battery Park. They requested that the blimp be painted gold to show how luxurious the brand was. In their mind, Jordash imagined the likes of the Goodyear blimp reflecting golden with their logo displayed prominently. What they got instead was a logging balloon pretending to be a blimp. And to make matters worse, the gold paint that they chose had turned brown in the sun, making the balloon look like a big flying turd. Nice. Also, I use the term blimp very loosely since one of the main things a blimp needs to be able to do is fly. And due to all the additions put onto the balloon, the craft barely managed to reach 30 feet of altitude. At which point it started corkscrewing in the air like a party balloon and crashed not too far from where it took off. Which, fun fact, was a little over a mile from where the Hindenburg crashed 40 years prior. Maybe that area is just bad for balloons. Maybe. Maybe that's the uh, Bermuda Triangle of blimps. <laughs> don't Never fly a blimp, a blimp in New Jersey. It's not a good don't idea. Don't fly a blimp. That's just a good don't. point, too. There's no We, we have other things. You don't need a blimp anymore. I don't, we, don't. we never needed a blimp. Why was the blimp invented? We just talked about how we like blimps. No, you guys talked about how you like blimps. Blimps are cool, but they're impractical. Like, I mean, yeah, they're neat, but they're impractical. It's a flying billboard. It is a flying billboard. How fast are they? Very slow. You know what else is a flying billboard? <laughs> Those planes that ca- have the banner behind them. Yeah, but yes. do you know, have you ever seen, like, what it takes to, like, make that happen? No. You basically have to, ha- you have to have, like, this crazy airport set up, and the plane has to take off, and then it has to come back around, and it has, like, a hook, and it has to pick up the banner. It has to, like, It can't take off with by- the banner? No, because it, it drags it too much. So it has wow. to like get a bunch of speed and like hook the banner. It's a it's a real That's pain in the neat. ass. You know what you have to do for a blimp? You just get in the blimp. You get in the blimp. Yeah. That's it. Okay. <laughs> Fun facts. Hey, this is edutainment. We're oh, learning a lot today. Yeah. So I'm just trying to imagine now, like, you think like a 747, like how big of a banner that could have? That's a good point. I don't I think don't. that it could. I don't think that it could Why swoop don't down they and do pick that? something up like that, though. No, but I, there's enough room in a 747 where they could just like open a compartment and let it fly out the back, because they could store it inside the plane. That could probably Wait, why work. don't they do that for like? Well, I think I think like the the, the impact. Actually, of like we're gonna have to cut of... this because this is this is our business venture, boys. We're we're going we're no, going. No, I mean, there's no way that's this. cost effective. Like, <laughs> no one would want to pay to operate a 747 for their People little will rinky dinky banner in the sky. Your advertisement, I guarantee, and it's going to be dangerous. I don't. I think you're <laughs> underestimating how expensive a 747 is. <laughs> well, can it be like thirty bucks? It's fine. We'll figure it out. Let's get an old one. I'll get one of those ones that like falls out of the sky. That's the a max. 737 Max. Yeah, I'll get one of those. Surely they're cheap by now. Maybe. With how well, many fell out it, of the sky. Well, you know what else <laughs> fell out of the sky? Uh, the Jordash blimp. This blimp, yeah. So Lou had invited members of the press to the launch, but no one showed up until the blimp crashed. At which point, the airship became national news. That's great advertisement. That's a well, great advertisement. You are Lou, apparently, because he, he <laughs> went to Jordash and was like, hey, you wanted publicity. You got it. <laughs> and so Jordash never sued over this incident uh, but that doesn't mean that there were no lawsuits over the crash 
You see, shortly afterwards, Lou put in a multi-million dollar insurance claim for his aircraft. Shortly afterwards? Yeah, like after the plane crashed, he put in his... To, to, oh, he, no, 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 yeah, like, he, like he, claimed, he claimed it, yeah. right? For multi, multi-million dollars. To which the insurance company said, um, no, when we signed this insurance agreement, you said you were insuring a blimp, not a rigged-up logging balloon. So Lou sued them, uh, proving that he had given him the exact specifications of the craft, including the manufacturer, the length. He said, look, I told you everything about it. You got classified it as a blimp and way overvalued it. That's not my fault. That's your fault. And as such, Lou was paid $2.5 million for his makeshift air- airship. There is no way a blimp is worth $2.5 million. No, a blimp is worth... It's yeah. a balloon. Yeah, well, it, so this logging balloon was worth way, way less. He made a ton of money from this deal. Um, but a blimp, yeah, it's probably that much, if not more. I've realized I hate blimps. <laughs> That's my new stance. I don't like blimps. All right, well. I'm coming out as anti-blimp. That's your opinion. Okay. You can you can believe that. Goodyear, I think still good company, but I, but I don't like their blimps. All right. Well, you can <laughs> you can you can think that. Um so you may be thinking, was this insurance fraud? Like You know what I'm thinking? What? Was that insurance fraud? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. The honest answer is I don't know. Did he intentionally Ensure this balloon that he knew would fail for way more than it was worth. And then when it failed, he claimed it. I don't know. Again, Lou Pearlman is either a criminal mastermind or literally the Forrest Gump of defrauding people. He did send that guy a two foot birthday card made out of construction. Exactly. That's what I'm saying is like, I've gone back and forth on my opinion of how much he was planning in advance and how much this just happened in his favor. Like I, I do not know. It's crazy. I'm leaning towards Forrest Gump. You think so? Okay, well, again, I go back and forth. I could believe it. I could believe that he just tripped and fell into being a fraud mastermind. Okay. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. So regardless, with all this new balloon crash money, Lou was now able to afford the real thing instead of a logging balloon. So he called up his old buddy, Volenkemper, and put it in order for a big boy blimp. But again... He needs a name to slap on the side, and Jordash was pretty much done with blimps by this point. <laughs> so instead, he decided to go to one of the deepest advertising pockets in America. He went to the McDonald's headquarters. He didn't have an appointment. He didn't need one. This is Big Papa we're talking about. Now, how many different McDonald's restaurants did he drive before they pointed him towards the headquarters? <laughs> <laughs> he ordered something from everyone. I'm here to talk to the big man. <laughs> I, I want to talk to Ronald. Where's Ronald? <laughs> I have a business proposition for Ronald. <laughs> also, I realized I just called him Big Papa, and I have not yet established he wanted to be called Big Papa. He called himself Big Papa. He wanted other people to call him Big Papa. Um, we'll get into <laughs> okay. that later. But yeah, so... Did he have any children? No. Well, okay. They like it when they call him Big Pop. He does yeah. like it when people call him Big Papa. Um, and I'm assuming this is before Biggie. Huh, it probably is. So Biggie's a ripoff. Maybe that song's about Lou Pearlman. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt that. So, anyway, while, while at the McHeadquarters, he showed the executives a cartoon he had made of the McBlimp, as it came to be known, flying over the Manhattan skyline, as well as a 20-foot mock-up of the McBlimp, which he inflated in one of the offices. McDonald's was sold, and the blimp deal was secured. I mean, that's pretty cool. Yeah. 
Like if someone brings a 20 foot model of a blimp in my office, I'm going to be like, that's I'm checking this out. And it was inflatable too. like he he blew the thing up and it was like, did in they the get room. to keep yeah. it? Oh, I'm sure I'm sure he didn't take it back. Um, that's awesome. What year are we in right now? Ugh, roughly great. roughly is fine uh i would say early 80s okay yeah well yeah okay because big papa by the notorious big came out in 1994 so oh yeah. this is way before that okay. yeah yeah way yeah. before so airship international would go on to sign both metlife and anheuser-busch as clients for their blimps also side note the anheuser-busch blimp was for SeaWorld, which was apparently founded and operated by anheuser-busch until 2009 yeah, like did I you get? I did not know it that. Was in, it was and it was Anweiser Bush when I went there. They also Bush Gardens. Bush Gardens. I I just found out about this through this yeah. research. I had no yeah. idea. If you go to Bush Gardens, they'll have like Clydesdales and stuff there. That's nuts. I had no idea. This boy's never been to Bush Gardens. I haven't actually. No, I think I went one time, but I didn't know it was Anheuser Bush. But anyway, doesn't matter. Yeah. Side note. Neat. Regardless. Neat. Neat factoid. That beer you're drinking is killing whales. <laughs> so. At this point, Lou claims that his net worth is around $400 million. He starts driving a Rolls-Royce Phantom and eating out at the most expensive restaurants in New York City. He, this is also the point that he insists that people call him Big Papa, uh, which I promise will only get weirder the deeper we get into this story. However, he also still lived with his parents in Flushing, New York. So this means one of two things. Either one... He's an ultra-rich mama's boy who doesn't want to leave home, which I could fully believe. Or two, he's really not as rich as he claims, but he wants the appearance of an ultra-rich person to make it easier to convince investors that he's ultra-rich. Again, I change my opinion about every hour. Lou is an absolute enigma. I don't know. I mean, phantoms are still dope, though. Phantoms are dope. He drove one. They're very cool. Now, I mentioned investors, and you may be wondering what he needs investors for. You know, he's making good money. Well, let's talk about Transcontinental Airlines again. That's the company I told you to remember, so I hope that you did. I forgot. Well, it's Transcontinental Airlines. I was busy remembering the Alamo. <laughs> well, wow. forget the Alamo right now. I need you to remember Whoa, Transcontinental Airlines. Whoa, can't say that. I said it. I said it. I said it. Oh. I, stay, and I stand by. I stand by what I said. And I'm a standby. <laughs> so Transcon, as all the cool kids are calling it, uh, was Lou's airline that didn't own any planes. Was it a tax haven shell corporation for his ultra-rich buddies? Was it a complete scam? Were they flying people? They were running a legitimate business that had legitimate customers, but was the scam in service of the business, or was the business in service of the scam? I don't know. I've spent hours researching, and I still Once don't again, know. Once again, you're calling this a scam. Tax loopholes well, aren't scams. Well, we're about to talk about the scam. Okay, 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 okay. What's important is Transcontinental is owned entirely by Lou at this point. So, Lou starts telling people that they can purchase shares of the company for $5,000 a share. And at first, this was just for his friends to let them in on the windfall of success that Lou was making happen. He would generally hand them an investor's brochure with a Transcontinental-branded jumbo jet on the cover. Now, you may be asking, Transcontinental-branded jumbo jet? How does that work? Because I thought they didn't own any airplanes. Right. And if you were actually asking yourself that question, I say thank you. Very astute of you. Thank you for paying attention. Well, the tail of the jet in this picture is just out of frame. And the reason is, you would see Lou's hand holding a model plane 
touching down on an airstrip. It's basically that they, they went out to an airstrip. He held a model plane oh. and they took the picture to where you can just see the front of the plane. It's just a transcontinental model airplane mm. for the brochure. Right. So he's asking people if they want to buy shares of the company that rents planes. Yes. I want to buy shares of those rented planes. Yes. I know you're it's getting a share of the business I mean, model, but still. Yeah. So they are renting planes to people, but they don't own the planes. They're basically subleasing planes. Right. So there's there's no assets to this company. Right. They, there's all zero assets. It's all, it's service. all service. So there's okay. nothing to buy. Right? Yeah. Again, it, a lot of things are just services, right? And they still sell stock. And yeah, it's not you can't 100% do that. a lie, but at the same time, like, he's definitely convincing people that, oh, yeah, I, I own an airline. Yeah. And again, this perceived success was enough to convince a lot of people and not just lose wealthy friends. As it grew, normal people with no ties to Lou started putting their whole life savings into this opportunity. Lou made hundreds of thousands of dollars selling shares of a company that didn't own anything and honestly barely did anything. But Lou wasn't done taking people for a ride just yet. There was a part two to this grift. And part two was the fact that you were now an investor in Transcontinental. You were now eligible to invest in the Employee Investment Savings Account, or ISA. Lou claimed that he could get them a better return on their money than any commercial investment firm because all those commercial investment firms had to pay something called a teller fee, whereas Lou had already negotiated himself out of that fee. You see, all the rich people do this, right? They get out of all these fees because they're investing so much money, so they're getting way better investments than all of you people at the bottom level. Right. So if you invest your money with me, you're investing at this upper level that doesn't have to pay these fees, and I can get you... It's not a, insanely better, but instead of 5% a year, I can get you 7% a year. There's no reason not to do this because your investment is also backed up by the Federal Deposit Insurance Commission or the FDIC. And if you don't know what the FDIC is... The FIDIC? Yeah, the FIDIC. Um, <laughs> it was created after the Great Depression to insure investments up to $100,000. So he's like, look, even if you are a little skeptical, you're fully insured, right? And come on, this is Big Papa we're talking about. Would I lie to you? <laughs> I would never Probably, invest my money yeah. with Big Papa. <laughs> he's driving a Rolls Royce, dude. And, and even if he's lying, you know, it's backed up by the FDIC. What's the issue? I assume... 80% of people who drive Rolls Royces, and this isn't to discredit the Rolls Royce Corporation, 80% of the people who drive those are involved in illegal activities, and 10% are straight up supervillains. <laughs> so there's only like 10% legitimate owners of Maybe. Rolls Royces. That's Cayman math. I, I'm, I, I won't sign on to that opinion, but I will acknowledge it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, not only were these investments obviously not backed up by the FDIC, but the FDIC started investigating this fund. Um, they called Lou and was like, hey, um, we see that you're telling people that, th that this fund, we don't really understand what you're selling, but this is not insurable by the FDIC. So, like, you should probably stop telling people that because, like, we're not going to back it up if this all goes belly up. And he's like, oh, huh. I'll have to talk to my investors about that. You know, I, I wasn't aware. We'll have to talk to our accountants and everything. Uh, thank you for informing me. And then he hung up the phone, and that was the end of that investigation. Oh, okay. Yeah. They, they were basically like, oh, hey, uh, we seem you seem to be under the impression that we're going to insure this, but we're not. And he's like, oh, huh. Interesting. Okay, we'll look into that. 
I wish I wish normal people got treated like that. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't sell weed. You oh, you must yeah. not have known. Like you can't That's illegal, That's illegal. bro. You can't do that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, oh, okay, I'll definitely stop. Sorry, I did not know. Like Yeah. <laughs> oh. So at this point, like I said, Lou owns zero planes, but his company Transcontinental is subleasing other people's planes to celebrities. Uh, these are mostly music performers like Paul McCartney, Michael Jackson, and of course, Art Garfunkel. So allegedly, Lou was leasing all of his planes from either Volenkemper or other investors. Again, I have a hard time keeping up because Lou keeps changing the story depending on who he's talking to. The planes are coming from somewhere, and it might be a huge tax haven. I don't know. It, it might all be a lie. <laughs> Again, that part is super hazy to me. But one day, a group of teenagers walks in his office and hands Lou $250,000 in cash in a brown paper bag. They want to rent one of Lou's most expensive airplanes. Lou was obvious. Teenagers. Yes, a group of teenagers. Lou was obviously as confused as you are, Cayman. And so he asks who you are. And so they looked at him. They all put on sunglasses in unison and said, We're the new kids on the block. Oh. Lou was... That's the one with the head DJ Marky Mark? Yeah, yeah. Marky Mark was in that room. Yeah. Allegedly. <laughs> Wait, why, why was all their cash in a brown paper bag? I don't know. I don't know. I didn't make that part up. That was a real thing. Why are they I don't just know. renting it? It was cash. They paid cash for it. Yeah, they're renting it with cash. I don't know. I don't know. They had 250000 in cash in a brown paper bag. I don't know. It seems shady. None of the new kids on a block have a checkbook? I don't know. I don't know, man. So Lou was obviously confused and intrigued. He had never heard of this group and wondered how a music group of teenage boys could be so successful. So Lou started asking around and found out that the group had made over a billion dollars in revenue in ticket sales and merchandise. To which Lou immediately thought, I'm in the wrong business. I mean, how hard could it be to get a group of kids who can sing and dance? So with that, Lou found his new calling. He was done with the airline business. He wanted in the boy band business. So Lou uprooted Another his... question. Okay. Nope. We're going back. Okay. I have more questions. Okay. One, how... He didn't know who they were. Okay. Nope. That's one thing. But fair. Two, they brought their money in a brown paper bag. Yep. Three, Again. Why didn't know. they just, like, buy a plane? Four, why did they come in his office? Like, did he not have, like, somewhere else that people went? Did he not, like, have staff? Were you just Not going up to him? Really? To I mean, okay, so Lou was very open. Like he would meet he met individually with investors. He ran his business. And, you know, obviously, I mean, there's what his business was was <laughs> very loose. Um, but that's one thing, you know, if this was on the up and up, I would say, yeah, you know, he was a very hands-on CEO. Like Could def- Lou fly? Could yeah, he had a pilot's license. Okay. That um but that's the thing. So he had to be hands-on because he he was the only one that knew all the gears that were moving, right? He knew where all the skeletons were hiding, right? Right, So he had, because if he let go, somebody would have figured it out, right? So again, he's, he's, and there's not very many people who are employed by this company. Like he's, he's a hard worker to get where he's at. Um, Great. So anyway, Lou uproots his entire empire and moved it all to the Hollywood of the South, Orlando, Florida. Ew. Yeah. I thought you were going to say Hollywood, Florida. Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess that is the Hollywood of the South. But um, no, but Orlando, <laughs> you know, that's where all, you know, 
people who can sing and dance go there. You know, even if things don't work out, you can work for Disney. You can work for Orlando. That's actually where he pulls a lot of his talent from. But, you know, there's a there's a wide pool of talent in Orlando, Florida. Right. Yeah. So he starts converting Transcontinental from an airline rental business into an entertainment business. Now, you may think that sounds like a large leap in industries. And the truth is, as we just talked about, there's not a whole lot of employees. So, like, it's not that hard to just completely switch what they're doing. You see, this was mostly a front to get people to hand Lou money as an investment. And what few employees there were were mostly friends from college. So, like, they didn't have experience running an airline either. So switching over to being (laughs) record managers is just like, all right, we're going to do another thing we know nothing about. Right. So Lou had one primary investor named Julian Bencher, who I'm sure we'll talk more about in the second part. But basically, Lou needed Bencher to believe in this venture in order to not have this whole operation crash down around him. Well, wait a second. Did he not have any, like, resources through Art Garfunkel? Um, that never really comes up. Because you would think, like, he would know people in the music industry. By this point, maybe... But no, it never really comes up. So I'm I'm sure they talked about it, but no, he he's kind of hands-off with this whole thing. Hmm. So I'm not sure why that is. Um... He probably just didn't want to get involved. He's probably by this point like he's probably oh, like just ghosting Lou, his cousin I, uh, at this point. Yeah, I don't I don't think I want to be involved with anything you got <laughs> going on. So anyway, he goes to Julian Bencher, and you know, again, he needs he needs this guy to be on board. But luckily for Lou, Bencher had previously wanted to get into the entertainment industry and thought the idea was brilliant. That there was this huge market for entertainment that was, for lack of a better term, fun for the whole family. Because keep in mind, this is when the grunge movement is starting to take hold in places that aren't Seattle. And parents just didn't understand it. But they could understand boy bands who sing about love and stuff like that. Like Parents just don't understand. Right. They didn't really get Nirvana, but like new, new kids, you know, they could enjoy. So with that, Lou founded Transcontinental Records, which was a division of his Transcontinental Airline shell company. And that only has to make sense if you think about it, so just don't think about it. To have a record label underneath your airline company. Uh, I'm pretty sure that like Taco Bell is underneath a soda uh, company. Guys, yeah, but that at least makes sense. That's still food and bev. Virgin yeah, Airlines. It's still food and bev. Virgin Airlines. Oh yeah, Virgin, oh, yeah, Virgin, Virgin Records. It's a record company. Yeah. It's the other way around. It's a record yeah. company that has an airline. I, never, but... I guess I hadn't thought about that. But yeah, yeah. Same, same deal. Maybe we need to look into that. What's uh, what's uh, God, what's that guy's name? Uh, Richard Branson. Sir Richard, Richard Branson. 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 Sir Richard Branson. Branson, yeah. He's knighted. Oh, wow. We need to look yeah. into Richard Branson and figure out what he's got going on. Uh, over 400 companies. That's wow. what he's got going on underneath I mean, the Virgin Group. Well, and that's the thing is they had like a, a cell phone company and like that. The, I'm, I was invested in Virgin Galactic for a while. The, um, yeah, the space yeah, they one. They want to start a, yeah, the space one. He's in everything. But Lou's <laughs> new entertainment company started advertising for, quote, teen male vocalists. Producer seeks male singers that move well between 16 to 19 years of age. Mm-mm. Wanted for new kids type singing slash dance group. Send photo or bio of any kind. No. End quote. No, glad you're, I'm glad not you're doing on the that. same page. Because <laughs> the next part of my note says uh, if, if you ever see an advertisement like that, don't call and definitely don't send a photo of yourself. No, no. That, that immediately sounds highly suspicious. Yep. It is, uh, but again, this is the early 90s. I I feel like things weren't as weird back then. Maybe they were. I don't know. Probably more weird. But regardless, that didn't stop 40 young guys from showing up at Lou Perlman's house looking for an audition. 
Outside of the whole group, only one guy stood out. But his manager, Tansy Williams, said that she had a whole stack of talent and she could help fill out the roster. In exchange, Tansy would receive 100 shares of the band. See, Lou had cooked up a scheme where he would incorporate the band as a business and sell shares of the band. It was weird and probably another scam, but it never really panned out. So I I don't think that... There's probably some kind of legal issue with incorporating a band. So with Tansy's help, they secured four other guys to make the quintet that all the best boy bands have. The boys all moved into the same house, which had its own dance studio. Every day they would be homeschooled by a tutor, have lunch, then sing and dance the rest of the day. And if this sounds crazy, this is pretty much how every boy band operates. Like, Uh. even to this day in places like South Korea. Like, K-pop, more like sweatshop. Am I right, guys? I mean, to be fair, that's... I mean, it's more organic, and they actually want to do it. But like, right, there's, but still, like, they're working. Bands, they work like, from like noon to nine, like singing and dancing every single day. Like, I mean, that's what the Stooges did for the most part. Except they also did instead of doing school, they did drugs. I don't know who the Stooges are, but um, I mean, like the Three Stooges. I'm sure that the Beatles at one point probably did that. Probably, I I don't know. I feel like bands, like you know, they they bands they like a lot of times live together. Huh. Rush okay. traveled across Canada in a van together, so well, they were playing music constantly. You, uh, another, another little piece of factoid. But anyway, there's one thing, playing instruments all day, another thing, dancing all day. Like, that's, I mean, that's tiring. But after weeks of practicing, Lou was treating the boys in Tansy to a nice dinner at TGI Fridays. And during the meal, they were discussing what they were going to name their group. That does not exist. Uh, what, a nice dinner at TGI Fridays? <laughs> you, you lied. But anyway, that's what they called it. And during this meal, they started discussing what they were going to name their group. The boys wanted to be called The Boys, uh, since that was kind of what everyone had called them. Uh, but Lou looked out the window and saw a place across the street called Backstreet Market. Oh my god. At which point, Lou looked directly into the camera and said, What about the Backstreet Boys? Backstreet's back. All right. And that's where we'll pick up in part two of the Lou Perlman story. All right. (laughs) I love the Backstreet Boys. They're solid. Well, this is the story of their founder. Oh, okay. Well, it's not where I expected this to go. Yeah, I know. Um, So, yeah, at this point, Lou is on top of the world. He has a successful blimp business. He has a successful plane rental business. And he just founded the Backstreet Boys, which will not be the last group that he founds that you know. And I don't want to spoil anything. That almost seems like a spoiler because I feel like I'm I feel like some of our listeners are going to look that up. Oh, they definitely are. But anyway, I, if <laughs> don't don't wait for the next episode or or don't. I don't care. Don't look, do, do, do your own research. <laughs> I would I would say wait for part two. Listen to part two, then then go do whatever you want. Actually, you know, what? don't even listen to our podcast. Just look at the topics, get a book on it and figure out for yourself. No, there you go. <laughs> do that, too. Uh, ju- just download the podcast. That's all I need. I don't even I don't even care if you listen to it. We'll we'll just we'll just find topics and <laughs> you can reach research. But anyway, yeah, Lou still has some more climbing to do before he reaches his peak. But once he reaches his peak, he comes crashing down hard and fast. So please tune in next time to hear how the story ends, because it only gets crazier from here. All right. Leaving them on a cliffhanger. Very important. I do. I do have a few afternotes. Oh, we got afternotes. Yeah. There we go. So again, I'm sure some people saw the um, the name of this podcast, you know, Lou Pearlman, and were immediately knew Backstreet Boys and other bands that I won't name. I did but, not. 
exactly. And no one that I talked to about this knew. So I was like, okay, I'm going to keep it a secret till the end. That's going to be like the big cliffhanger. Um, so for those of you that did know, I'm sure you're like, oh, when's he getting to the Backstreet stuff? Like, we're, we'll get into the Backstreet stuff next week. I feel like the the crowd of people that's most likely to know who he is without, like, any prior research is going to be, like, women in their early 30s. Yeah, people who were teenagers when this stuff was happening. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. So one story that I, I, I had to cut just because I wanted to get out of his childhood kind of quick, uh, kind of quick. Perlman loved to tell a story about how he started a newspaper delivery route cartel as a child. Um, he like Cartel? Offered, that was I, the interesting one to put on the end. That was the interesting adjective. I, yeah, I, I, I added, I don't know that he called it a cartel, <laughs> but I don't know what else to call it. Basically, he would offer kids $500 to take over their route and then subcontract younger kids to actually deliver the papers. And the way he actually like made his money was he partnered with Dunkin' Donuts and he would offer to also deliver you donuts every morning as part of like, and he was like, oh yeah, I learned it all from my dad because he took all these notes about his customer service and all this stuff. So I would know exactly how they wanted their paper, if they wanted donuts, like blah, blah, blah. But when the people who knew Lou at the time heard this story, they burst out laughing. The biggest hole in the story is that no kid had the right to sell a newspaper route. Like that yeah. wasn't a thing that they owned. That's just not how that works. And even if they could, they said Lou Perlman never had $500 to speak of. Like, there was no way. I mean, they would also still have to, like, go pick up the papers so that Lou could take the papers from them. And, like, that doesn't make yeah, it Right. Make it sense. just, it, yeah, they were like, on its face, the story doesn't make sense. Uh, but I didn't stop him from telling it. I'm pretty sure it was in his autobiography. But next, so we're talking about Backstreet. Uh, I, I wanted to tell Nick Carter's, the story of Nick Carter's audition, but I didn't want to spoil it until the end. So Nick Carter auditioned and he actually had to audition in front of Lou Pearlman. So I guess he did his homework because he sung a uh, Simon and Garfunkel song for his audition. And he had the whole thing choreographed. And at one point he did a cartwheel and Tansy Williams, the manager said like, oh, it really looked like he hurt himself somehow, but he like kept singing and dancing, like with a smile on his face. And at the end she was like, are you okay? He's like, oh yeah, I'm fine. I just hurt a little bit. And afterwards he went to the hospital. He had broken his wrist but he like sang and danced through it. And she was like, at that point we immediately signed him because he's a real, he's, he's a professional. Nick Carter's a trooper. Yeah. Oh, also, uh, I guess I can spoil this one. So he also starts Aaron Carter's career. Cause you know, he, he had that connection through Nick. Uh, yeah. My dad went to see Aaron Carter in concert multiple times, or maybe it was wow. just once. Well, to be fair, he was taking my sister to see them, but I he was going to ask, I wasn't yeah. going to judge. I wasn't going to judge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> That's curious. I'm curious. Why don't you ask your sister if she knows who Lil Perlman is? Okay. I'll, I'll text I, her before I, I the would, episode I comes would, out. I would want to know. We'll find out. Uh, and lastly, uh, I want to acknowledge my sources. Again, I hope that you uh, don't check these out until after two weeks from now. Um, but still, these are these are great sources. I'm going to acknowledge them now. I'll, pro I'll remind you next week, but these are great. The first is The Hit Charade, Lou Perlman, Boy Bands, and The Biggest Ponzi Scheme in U.S. History. The other one is a documentary created by YouTube for their YouTube bread service that never went anywhere. So now it's just free on YouTube. You can just go watch it. It's called The Boy Band Con, The Lou Perlman Story. It's great because it focuses on the perspective of these literal children that got swooped up in Lou Perlman's scheme. These are literal children we're talking about. Like, most of these kids are in their teens whenever, whenever things get started. So... Uh, I highly recommend both. Uh, the book is pretty hard to come by. Uh, so I would say go watch that documentary on YouTube. It's free. You can just go watch it right now. Uh, I, again, 
please listen to the next episode, even if you do watch that documentary. I've got plans. I can't watch you've it. Gotta, you've got to you gotta listen to the episode regardless. You've got to listen to me say it live. So, all right, guys. But yeah, those were my sources, and that's pretty much all I got for Afternotes. Well, coolio. That was fun. That was neat. It was neat. And we've still got so much more to cover. We are at the, we are at the beginning of this story. Yeah, it's been a while since we did a multi-parter. Has it been since Cuba? Yeah, I think so. I think yeah. Cuba, we got burnt out on large topics. So this is our first time back to a large topic. But yeah, so uh, you guys know where to find us. As always, I really wish you hadn't on Instagram. If you have any questions, concerns, want to send us audition information for a boy band, I think we'd make a good boy band. I feel like, ooh, the next thing, man band. We'll be a man <laughs> band. Yeah. It'll yeah. be great. No one's so, ever yeah, done that you can, before. <laughs> you can email us at podcast at IReallyWishYouHadn't.com. And then if you want to just text Colin with any questions that you have, his number is uh, 9333. No. I can't believe all that. That's, <laughs> that's not my number, but I don't think we can say it anyway. <laughs> all right. Until next time, my guys, take it easy. I Really Wish You Hadn't is hosted by me, Cayman McMahon, and Michael Bentley. We're produced by Colin Moore. Intro and outro music by Attack Story. Our cover art is by Nickator. Please remember to subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, don't support blimps. They're slow, they're <laughs> expensive, and I don't like them. They're impractical. <laughs> so as always, don't they're do anything Michael wouldn't do. They're supported by Lou Perlman. He's a monster. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha